0: This podcast is sponsored by Uncana, Trusted Natural Solutions. Uncana is a leading voice of advocacy for CBD in the veteran LEO and federal communities. Veteran-owned and operated, the Uncana team is actively fighting for DoD access to CBD with political pressure, community support, and a simple message. Hashtag optnatural. Uncana is vertically integrated with industry leaders from seed to sell, supplying premium small batch products to America's best. Use code MENTORS the number four MIL, at checkout at uncana.com to receive your amazing discount. Read the Mentors for Military disclaimer at mentorsformilitary.com slash disclaimer. So, you know, Kyle, uh, we don't have like any special way of kicking this thing off. Normally, what we do is we have the intro music, which you've probably heard, and then we just kind of jump right into the conversation. It just happens. It just happens. Yeah. So, um, in this episode, we're going to be joined by Kyle. I'm uh, also joined in person, not only by Kyle, uh, who's going to share his story, but also by Paul, which of course everybody's heard of Paul. Paul hey, everybody. Good to have you guys hear me. So, um, especially with all this coronavirus crap going on. So it's good to have actually people in studio once again. Yeah, real human yeah. contact. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we don't have that that often. Well, we do, but not in the sense of the podcast lately. All right. Yeah, yeah, it's weird. <clears throat> so, Kyle, welcome, man, to the Minterest Military Podcast. Um, we're going to dive into this thing and, and uh, see where it takes us and go into a conversation So, I know that Andy, who's also in the studio, was asking you a question, or maybe it was Paul, about when it was that um, we first met, and I think, if memory serves me, it was probably about 10 years ago?
1: It would have been when uh, I was in high school, actually, but we probably, we kind of, I would say we actually developed a relationship after I joined the military. I remember you dating your wife. Yes.
0: And I was friends with her parents yes and um i remember like you said you were in high school Mm -hmm. and then i remember hearing of you going into the military Mm -hmm. and i gotta be honest with you i was shocked at that
1: point yeah a lot of people were so (laughs) it's okay i was too uh i was one of those people that would would have never joined yeah um circumstances in life dictated otherwise yeah uh it was the greatest decision i've ever made um it was awesome So what was it that actually kind of drove that? Because you were going to college, I think, at the time. I spent six fantastic years in college (laughs) and graduated, so we had to figure something else out. Um, It was fun, though. It was my girlfriend, my wife at the time, was set to graduate in May, and this was, say, January of 2009. She was set to graduate in May, and... I got put on academic suspension, like as in don't come back to college for a year. And the student loans are going to kick in. Yeah. I was wandering around Milledgeville and walked past a recruiter station and there was a banner in the back said, we'll pay off your student loans. And The yeah. rest is history from there. <laughs> so,
0: when you went down to the MEPS, now you ended up going 19 Delta, but yeah. when you went down to the MEPS, did they offer you a, a bunch of different things or how they, did you end up going I to was scout?
1: open to everything except for the two things that I wanted i wanted 68 whiskey which it wasn't available today i never heard anybody else say medic wasn't available if their gt score yeah was was, but they said no um and then other than that i was i was like okay then i want to be an air traffic controller for the army because i was like the army has no planes this is me not knowing anything at this point the army has zero (laughs) planes i want to do anything so uh that wasn't available so i picked the coolest video and flying Bradleys, nice, that sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Flying Bradleys, dune buggies, and ghillie suits, and I was on them.
0: That's b- kind of where Paul ended up going into Ranger. As a matter of fact, yeah. uh, he went Levin series, ended up Fort Benning. you yeah. saw the video, went with a buddy, yeah. if I remember correctly, mm-hmm. and. Saw this high-speed video, and that's how he ended up going over to regiment. It so was a really so, good
2: video.
1: See, it was,
0: yeah. Obviously, was really the, Ar- the Army's marketing.
1: The scale marketing. And the, yeah. It was fantastic. Combat arms. They, I yeah.
0: Mean, you know, they've got to get that. they got to motivate the whole combat arms side of it anyway, right? And
2: yeah, they don't tell you that's one percent of your career. <laughs> yeah, right. Did, did you get to do any of that stuff in the video? How much of the I've never jumped Bradley.
1: I got to wear a ghillie suit. I never once. I saw dune buggies once, and they were driven by seals getting off a Chinook after we humped in for four miles. And the <laughs> seals landed like eight hundred meters out and just did a cordon with their dune buggies. I'm like, this is stupid. Uh, yeah, that, that's supposed to be me, but yeah,
0: yep. never did happen. Never did. Happen. One out of three is not too bad.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I got to wear a ghillie suit, and it was awful. So.
2: <laughs> they are awful. If you're listening, the ghillie suit's not. Well, cool. That's true
1: because don't wear them. They collect bugs.
0: Yeah, lots of bugs. And Paul uh, Paul wore those things quite often. Yeah, yeah a lot.
2: I mean, yeah. it looks cool. Yeah, it, it does. It Everybody does. always thinks it looks cool. Yeah. yeah, you feel like you look cool, but you don't actually
0: feel cool. I got to no, believe those things no. got to be hot as hell for days Extremely. on end. Extremely. They're yeah. terrible.
1: And yeah, as a machine gunner on an SKT team, that's like it's not. Gross. There's no, there's no reason you should ghillie up at any point. I've got to yeah.
0: ask you: Do you have like your individual ghillie suit? Or is it... You yeah, just yeah, you make it yourself. Yeah. Oh, thank God. Yeah, you yeah. make it yourself. You I couldn't imagine that. getting to somebody else's after they've just
1: came yeah, I, I wore
2: someone else's to sniper school. Did you?
1: Yeah. That's sacrilege in some, in some circles. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah <sacrilegious laughs> it was a little in some circles.
2: Yeah. <laughs> it is, yeah. Hey, think smarter, not harder. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I didn't want to stay up all night making that thing
0: while I was trying to learn math. Uh, yeah. So you went to MEPS in Atlanta? hmm Okay. So when you went down there, they showed you this cool marketing video. You end up going 19 Delta. That's right. So you ended up going to Benning, Fort Knox. Okay, so I didn't know the transition. That's why I was then kind of I was pre brac so. so you were like the real uh, deal because I, I, yeah, I went. Yeah, I went nineteen series as well, and yeah. that's where I went through was Fort Knox. Of course, now it's a ghost town. Yeah. But yeah, it is. What was your unit there?
1: You uh, I was uh, Alpha Troop, Five Fifteen. Okay. In Disneyland.
0: Yeah, yeah, I was in Disney Barracks yep. uh, Delta Three One. I can remember that. did that Disney way? Barracks? Disney Barracks was a segment of. Fort Knox, where the basic training... Fort
2: OSET. Knox
1: is Sand Hill. Gotcha. Right, right, right. right. Exactly. Yeah. That's gotcha. a good point. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Basic training barracks.
0: Yeah. Yes. yes. Those sound nice. No. <laughs> Those are not, not good accommodations? Hard pass. Uh, <laughs> hard pass. Uh, but that's where OSIT went. And I remember in when you went through, um, were the Marine Corps there? And they arrived like... They, they were doing kind of their own thing in Disney Barracks in a segment of it. And they'd get up late, I remember, because mm-hmm. they had already gone through their boot camp. And we were yep. still in, like, one-station unit training. Yeah. And they'd wake up, you know, 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock. They'd come out and do some PT or something. But a little bit more lackadaisical days, mm-hmm. you know, where ours is, you know, three months steady, basic training. Just like it was with, yeah. you know, anything combat arms
1: like that. Yeah. But uh,
0: Yeah, they make you earn it. I was curious if it was still the same.
1: So I got to see both sides of it. I got to see the Marines at Fort Knox when I was in basic training and I always wondered why they were never around. Mm -hmm. It was just always a bunch of Marines aimlessly walking around. You never see them train, never see them do anything. And then I got to my one year at the armor school before God, the branch manager, and whoever else had a hand in it got me out of the armor school. The one year I had to spend there before I got to go over to third brigade, um, I saw that the Marines actually trained, and I didn't realize, but it was their, their version of armor OSUT. They send their lieutenants there to learn how to. So if there's any Marines out there, the Army actually teaches you how to operate tanks. And well,
0: if there's anybody out there wondering, yeah. I mean, most people should know that the Marine Corps gets all of our leftovers anyway. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So whether it be the you know weapons, the vehicles, whatever. Everything. They get the hand me downs. Yeah. Cool. Now I have to fight my brother when I go home. There Thank you guys. <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah, I'm sure I'll get a whole bunch Sorry, of people Matt. writing in Simplify. you know, that's not right. <laughs> Tell it like it's like it is. Mm-hmm. No, but it's true. It's uh it's one of those things. But yeah. so nineteen Delta, one of the last hard classes of mm-hmm. Cav school because, yep. of course it was a Ford Knox. Um and uh after you leave there, you ended up going where?
1: Uh Schweinfurt, Germany. So I get my drill sergeant came down and said you're going to the one seventy third they are based out of italy
0: vincenzo Uh, i was
1: like that's awesome yeah can't wait wrote a letter to my wife then fiance like hey we're going to italy this is gonna be awesome can't wait and then (laughs) it comes down 191 armor Schweinfurt germany i'm like germany sounds awful i didn't know anything about germany i was just so i was so keyed up on either being because then in basic training, you're taught you're either going to go to third ID or you're going to go to first CAV. Yeah. That's it. Those are the only two CAV units. Everything else, no one's CAV. But then I get to I get to Germany, and I'm like, one, well, this place is awesome. Like the food, everything, the culture is awesome. Number two, there are like real live scouts here. We had the only first sergeant at the time. Well, in in my limited world view at the time, he was scout god. He was... Mike Golf and Ranger qualified, mm. and he was just uh, at one point there was a rumor he was also JFO qualified, and he would have been one of three scouts in the army at the time that were like that. So he was he was a good resource, but it was cool. I, I didn't think real scouts existed anywhere else. Turns out there's a history lesson behind that quarter cav for um, they were for, uh, quarter cav for or div cab for first ID. Um, so the division commander had a squadron of CAV in Germany for First ID that he can really he maneuvered about the battlefield, which huh. was that is interesting, awesome.
0: Yeah. So of course I was back in the day when you know. This is before all GWAT and everything mm-hmm. else, you know, when it was Cold War era, there was nothing but over in Germany, all armor. kinds of, everything. Yeah. And Cav, I was in the eleventh uh, ECR. Yep. You know, it was a the border cav. Similar type of story. Um, I arrived in of uh, uh, I had a an old uh, E7 and stuff a platoon sergeant that told me he'd hooked me all up and everything when I arrived at Frankfurt, um, I mean, at Frankfurt, that I was going to be going to this you know, sweet little unit. I think it was Gellhausen or something mm-hmm. just outside of Frankfurt. And uh, so I get there, and there's this specialist, and he hands me my orders and tells me to go out front that the bus for Fulda is waiting on me. And I'm like, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. That's the border cab, right? Mm-hmm. And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, no, no, I'm not going there, man. You know, you got it wrong. Where's your NCYC? Mm-hmm. You know, and because I was a buck sergeant, I thought, you know, let me go ahead and push a little bit. And so this guy comes walking over. He goes, "Yeah, what's the problem?" And I go, yeah, I'm supposed to be going to, I think Gellhausen or something like mm-hmm. that. Uh, First and Thirty Third Armor, I believe, is what it was." And and he was like, uh, "Oh man, you're you're going to First and Eleventh ACR. The bus is waiting on you up front." Yeah. And uh, yeah, that is. Uh, that was like a frightening thing at that time frame to, mm-hmm. to go to 11th ACR because I mean, it was like-
1: It was it. It, if it was you, the front line of the Cold War.
0: It, it really was. But. And not, well, not just that, it was, a, um, it was a very high speed unit at its time. Mm-hmm. And it was one of those units where you knew you were gonna be constantly either at the border or in the field,
3: mm-hmm.
0: you know, type of thing, training, because that's how, what it was kind of designed yeah. for. But um, any rate, uh, it turned out to be one of the best decisions, you know, that somebody mm-hmm. forced me into. But it turned out to be one of the best units where I learned how to really cut my teeth to being an NCO. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. Like, did that end up working out for that, you? That totally was where, Even you know, I learned like how harder. to be an NCO. Yeah, the hardest, you know, and I think probably all of us would say the same mm-hmm. thing. I mean, you being a part of Ranger Regiment, 173rd, whatever, being being a part of one of those, you know, units that really takes a lot of esprit of core and you're proud, you know, has a lot of pride, yeah. has a long history and everything else. I mean, you get that type of lesson, I think, you yeah. know. Especially as an NCO,
1: absolutely. Um, unfortunately, I didn't get to be an NCO in the 173rd. I didn't cut my teeth and become an NCO until I got to Third Brigade, Third ID, mm. which was you had all these guys that had been on the Morning Express for since the surge, since 2003, 2005 time frame, and I roll up in there 2011 as a, a specialist with a combat patch and a cab and airborne wings, and they're like, "Oh, okay, so you know how to dismount, but do you know how to do anything else?" and i learned very quickly that that answer was no um and that's that's really where i learned how to be an NCA. well learned before we be get to that
0: let's go back because i mean the 173rd in germany versus the 173rd in vincenza tell me
1: cav squadron is in germany uh when my time there the cav squadron the bsb uh, i think they had a beb at the time uh, uh the engineer battalion or whatever um they were all in Germany and then they left the the infantry battalions and headquarters there in Pinzo. Okay. All
0: right. So that's where you were headed was Pincenzo. Yeah. And, and then I wow. saw the video. Yeah. <laughs> and, then An saw the school video. School. and there <laughs> were guys right.
2: jumping out of helicopters yeah. and airplanes with dirt bikes and
0: yeah. well, so so when did you go to airborne school? Was it in route to No.
1: I went to the one seventy third as a dirty, nasty, disgusting leg. Mm. <laughs> it was so much fun. Let me tell you how much fun that was. It was not fun at all. I'm sure so, they yeah. they really mentored you. Yeah, they did. they got a the lot of personal development and yes, growth. Yes, yes, professional development at every turn. So. <laughs> oh man. It was a it was a good time. Um I met a lot of great guys over there. Um a lot of guys that I'm still in contact with today. Yeah. Um I mean, you do you do a deployment with a group of guys and you're going to you're gonna think about them not if not daily then every other day for the rest of your life. I mean it's just one of those things. Um very fortunate for having to go to that troop and that platoon and be in that section at that time. Yeah. It's very very like um I don't know, fortuitous. I mean it was How
0: many deployments had they been on before you
1: arrived? Um two, I believe. Okay. So So one being um, I don't know if you guys seen the the movie uh, the new one that came out what is that one Outpost or whatever about Keating I haven't seen I've it I've heard it I haven't seen it okay. yeah. uh, one is before it that and then one after that yeah I watched it a little bit it supposedly took place it definitely took place in October and we deployed that in November um, hmm. but it was, what's the premise of the show uh, it's uh, what's his name Romisha's uh, Clint Romisha he won the it was awarded the Medal of Honor and it's his story, along with the. I forget the other guy's name.
0: So, where did you end up heading when you went over?
1: Uh, we went to eastern Afghanistan, uh, Logar Province. Okay. So, Baraki Barak District of Logar Province. It's a nice place. It's uh, it's fun. Just west of Puli Alam along Route Georgia. Okay. You got Route New York going north to south, Route Alaska coming in from the northwest to the southeast, and looping back around to Route Georgia.
0: Did I, did I ever see a. A photo of your outpost. Uh, I
1: think we might have one night. We might have got on Google Earth and we yeah. started talking. But yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it was a real fun place. Really, really cyclic in nature. <laughs> like as as the as the snow melts, the fun starts, and as the snow comes, the fun stops.
2: Yeah. How long were you out there? How long were you out there?
1: I was uh I was slated for a year long deployment from okay. November to November. I actually left in August of two thousand ten. Okay.
0: Yeah. So, so tell us about what happened leading up to
1: that. We uh, we made a mistake. We went down the same route. We we x filled the same route we infilled on. Hmm. So we were we we uh, kind of closed ourselves off, um, and we had to end up going down going out the same route we went in. Um, it's like the number one thing that is talked about in any mounted or dismounted for that matter, especially mounted, um, especially in that. That area of operation. Well, yeah, we hit uh, we hit some HME on a pressure plate. I think it was a saw blade. Um, it turned the... We had... What are the new ones? Well, the newer ones? The mat Vs. It picked up a mat V and turned it 90 degrees in the air. Set it back down. Uh, blew the doors open, which were combat locked. That was pretty cool. Um, I didn't think that steel would, Yeah, but it, it blew the doors open. Wow. Um, we... Got set back down. Doors were open. Um as far as anything I can remember, I remember Dust. And then I remember being in uh what was the name of the fob? It wasn't It's was the big Fob. I can't remember it now. Altimore was our battalion or our squadron fob and then I can't remember it. Anyway, they had a was it a level three? Yeah. And then from there, I went to Bagram, and from Bagram, I went to Germany, and then Germany. Langstol. Went- Langstol.
0: Yeah. So, was this a day or a night operation? This
1: was. Uh, it, was uh, it was a. It was. Twenty. What is it? Forty-eight to seventy-two hour. We didn't take rucksacks. We took. We took patrol bags, so it wasn't wasn't a big operation. I think it was three days. Okay. It was mounted, dismounted, hybrid. What we were doing was, you know, the nomads, the the coochie that come in from Pakistan, yeah. bring all the they like to bring all the guns and stuff for the Taliban, drop them off. We don't know what these are. Somebody just gave us these, and we dropped them off here, type thing. We were clearing their tents, which is just
2: that's madness. It's so dumb.
1: I've done that. It's, <laughs> it's so dumb. It's crazy. If you don't know anything about the coochie, they are nomads. They have. I remember the first my first encounter with them. We woke up. On the OP, and there were thousands, literally thousands of sheeps and hundreds of tents that weren't there the day before. They just wow. appeared out of nowhere. That's a
2: big, yeah. That's a big caravan. It was
1: huge. It was enormous. Yeah. They had full blown like camels. Like I never, I didn't know how big camels were. Camels were enormous. <laughs> uh, it was really cool. <laughs> um, but anyway, they appeared and we kind of dealt with them all summer and towards the end. Just after Ramadan, just before election time, just before uh, Uh, after like late summertime, just before election time actually, Uh, because 2009 was apparently an election here in Afghanistan. Um, I think Kurzai was 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 up for office, something like that. Yeah, yeah, and he won. Yeah, or 2010. This would have been 2010, but yeah, same premise. Um, He uh, anyway, we uh, we clear these QT tents for for a day or two, and uh, we end up having to take the same route out as we took You in. cleared tents for a day or two? We took two platoons and a another section from the MPs that were stationed with us at our cop. That's how big this, that's when wow. I say, like we had to. I've seen like a dozen or so. We had but... to section off, like we had to section off this many tents First platoon. So you're clearing a tent city. This, yeah, but a moving tent city. So we cleared this many, and then it moved, and then we're like, okay, now we got to clear this many. Like, how are you keeping track of that? You're not.
2: No, you can't. Anyway,
1: so it was night. I was at that point. I was a PFC, and I was like, okay, this is. I'm going to do exactly what I'm told. I'm going to carry my saw. I'm going to go this way, and I'm going to clear that tent. Um. So we we cleared the tents. It's all fine, well and good. We get back in we get back in the trucks. And it's a it's a troop minus convoy clip, whatever you want to call it, out. <laughs> um lead truck from first platoon gets hit. So the next ranking person is my truck commander. And he gets moved up to the front. Cool. They go and take care of the guys that we thought that set off the ID for the initial lead truck, so that red platoon or first platoon truck got hit by an IED a small one turns out it was a diversion as we are wow. stopped doing everything for that up around the corner quarter mile up the road whatever it was they were doing a doing a quick pressure plate job with about 300 anyway I've heard different numbers anywhere from 200 to 400 pounds of HMA so it was a yeah yeah it's a pretty well, it had to be a lot if it picked up your vehicle and turned it sideways
0: <laughs> so did anybody else get also taken out to the fob and
1: me and a guy who had got been in country for about 21 days he was in the seat next to me gunner got lifted up slammed down with the gunner shield luckily he had his harness on everybody hated those harnesses but harness saved wow. his life uh he bruised his diaphragm spit up blood for a couple days
3: <laughs>
1: um Jeez. and Driver and TC both had a concussion. Everybody in the everybody in the truck had a concussion. concussion. Yeah. Uh, once we learned what the definition of a concussion was, four years later, right when right. it became an NFL issue, right, then you realize how many concussions you actually had over that twelve or not for me that nine month span. Yeah, and it's it's a, a shocking lot. amount. So,
2: like a too many.
1: Amount. Yeah, like <laughs> like a lot. Yeah. Um. So you know.
0: So you woke up back at the the five Mm -hmm. and I was
1: told that I was alert and awake until we got to a certain point and then it just kind of, I devolved from there. So there was like an adrenaline rush, the best I can put together. There was like an adrenaline rush and then I get set down and then start to decline from there. Mm. So we get back and. Crazy thing about it, you think someone's going to call your family for you in this situation, right? Angela, my wife, can attest to this today that they gave me a phone, pulled my blue card, called the number on the blue card, and handed me the phone no in way. this super concussed state. Wow, what, what did you say? The hell? I, Angela said I'm just in there like stuttering on the phone, and then I handed the phone to somebody. Oh my god, that and like, the, then the nurse, the bedside nurse, like talked to Angela and told her
2: that doesn't seem like
1: a good well with angela
0: being a nurse thank god at least she could ask the right questions and (laughs) exactly
1: otherwise Uh, yeah um yeah they said it was back on the home front it's it's weird once you once you get because the when you piece the pieces together you have stories from your buddies that were there stories from your leaders that were there and then stories from actually now we have a view from stateside yeah to there Hmm. Like her view into Afghanistan sure. is this phone call, broken broken up phone call, delayed on top of trying to talk to somebody who is incoherent at this point.
0: I, I remember as a fourth party, I mm-hmm. remember hearing it, you know, third hand type of thing. And and of course I heard that you, I think I didn't hear about it until you were in Germany, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. And at that time frame, you know, it was Angela going over. And, you know, that was the first thing that came to my mind was, okay, she needs to be there, you know, type of thing. But I've known situations where, you know, it's so bad that they're sending the individual back Mm -hmm. that they don't allow the family to even come. Yeah. Because, you you know, you almost be crossing in the night type of thing. Yeah. You know, uh, because I got to get them back to Walter Reed. But Mm -hmm. that wasn't your situation.
1: They offered me... um what is it, permissive TDY? Not permissive TDY, was it convalescent leaf? Yes. Um, and me being the private at the time, I was like, I'm going to go back. Even with this traumatic brain injury and these discs that are compressed in my neck, I'm going to go back. And, it, yeah, there was. I went and talked to a neurosurgeon, and they were like, no, there's no way you're going back. You're lucky we don't fuse your neck together like right so
0: now. So what? What was it? C four or five?
1: Yeah, the, the lower uh, C spine was compressed. Mm, yeah, and it just took time to to heal. Really, you just wait for that kind of little physical Nerve, therapy. A little arm. Yeah, a lot of a um, lot of a lot of numbness stuff like that.
0: Yeah. I've had. I still have that pain, yeah. and shoots down my right arm, mm-hmm. goes all the way down to my thumb, goes my finger. Goes through the ulnar nerve yes. right here, and just shoots. Affect, sometimes it affects my tricep mm-hmm. and my bicep.
1: You still get the twitches?
0: Um, okay. No, no, don't. Yeah. I don't get those.
1: I get now every now and then. I'll just start to really? start to twitch. I don't know. And your
0: your lower fingers? Yeah. yeah. Which that's typically higher.
1: Yeah. I don't know. I'm just. I'm, I'm not going to say that the Army misdiagnosed me, but I've been misdiagnosed by the Army on other things. But this, yeah. isn't, this isn't that type of forum, but I'm just saying what I got is the lower C-spine was compressed. Mm. There's x-rays of me. They're like, okay, bend your, bend your neck down, and you'd bend your neck down, and it would just go just like this. Mm-hmm. And then they'd take further ones, and then I could start having flexion in my neck. Yeah. So, I'm,
0: if you look at me, I've got it jacked up. Neck, my neck is for it. Of course, I just had a spasm kind of thing that hit me a couple of weeks back. I was telling them, but it like never leaves you. It'll like mm-hmm. you know, I'll have like three good years, four good years, and all of a sudden it'll you know come yeah. back. And you
1: get a catch on it at some point, and then it's just. I there. was just
0: doing something minor, yeah. yeah, and it'll flare up, yeah. And uh, but that pain shooting down your arms, some <laughs> god awful pain that, I, and at first I had never felt that kind of nerve pain, and mm-hmm. I was trying to figure out like. I was taking ibuprofen, I was taking leave, I was taking everything I could get my hands on. And nothing relieves that pain because it's nerve damage. Yeah, You know, I mean, it's nerve pain. Um, We all know what we're talking about here. And, of course, most people listening who are veterans will all know what we're talking
2: about here. Yeah, there's a lot (laughs) lot of guys experiencing that, like me in this chair right now. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. (laughs) You too? (laughs) It's fun stuff. it, It is what it is at this point. It's just you learn to live with it. You try to... Stay off of all the things that are offered to you at any term when you go and yeah ask for assistance. The first yeah. thing they offer is this yep. and this, and you're just.
0: Nah, well, we talked about the cocktail, you know, and yeah. that's what really gets difficult for a lot of guys is they get on the cocktail and it's hard to get it's, off. Yeah,
3: absolutely. What do you mean by
0: the cocktail? Well, they just give you all kinds of uh, opiates and and um, different drugs, and of course once you start taking those, then they got you got to take pills to say help yeah. you poop because mm-hmm. now you're stopped up. And then on top of that, they now you're nervous. You so can't they're sleep. They're going to put you on Xanax mm-hmm. for the rest yeah. of the life. Yeah. You can't sleep. So that you got to take medication for that. And yeah. you know, yeah. And, and then you're a human chemistry set. Yes. Mm-hmm. But you're still in pain. Yeah, but you're still in pain. exactly. And then of course you layer that with alcohol.
2: Of course. Oh, yeah.
0: yeah. Cause, Cause any good, veteran why would. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Why wouldn't you? Right. Yeah. Why not? Why not? It seems great. So, um, when you make it, uh, back home and everything, um you were on a break for a period of time and then you ended up going to alaska
3: mm-hmm.
0: um so how was it when you got there after you had been now reassigned i mean you're still in airborne unit, so you're still in jump status mm-hmm. how, how was it through this jump status period i mean you made a couple jumps
1: there uh 173rd yeah, yeah. no no in alaska no i was on i actually healed We're going to call it healed. I can't see the quotes. You can't see the air quotes. I came off a profile. I will say that. That's probably the easiest way to say that. And they said, cool, you're off a profile. You're still a leg because you never got to go before deployment. Yeah. You're going to airborne school now. And so injured in September, August rehab from September to February. Got my one way ticket to Benning. Don't come back until you have your wings type thing and mm. so got to spend three weeks at Benning get my airborne wings go back and jump um, and then came time to branch manager called and said hey let's let's talk about you re-enlisting or whatever or, or who's the the NCO that's for every squadron or battalion the re-enlistment guy the guy you run away from um, he comes around and says hey they need people at Benning I'm like well, I'm from Georgia, so there's a thought. And I said, tell me about it. And two days later, I was signing papers to re-enlist and go to Benning. Little did I know that I was going to the armor school, not 3rd Brigade 3rd ID. I was not ready to go to TRADOC after being in Force Com, being 173rd for that, that amount of time. You were in 29th Infantry, right? No, I was in uh, 316. Okay. Yeah, so. Still, it's
0: TRADOC still
1: very trade-off yeah yeah like the most of course of so course now what it was been. your role there i was uh, getting ready for this i was a driver for lieutenants for their gunnery cycle and their field cycle
0: what you would like transport them back and forth
1: i would be the driver in the field so they would all take turns learning how to be lieutenants And here's specialist Neil like (sighs) driving them around and they're calling me driver and I'm telling them to shut up. I'm not your fucking driver. (laughs) Um, They're like, well, and whatever they would, it would end right there. And then here's me like trying to lead them along as a specialist. And I like, you may want to camouflage the vehicle. Okay. So let's camouflage the vehicle. You may want to get the camouflage from behind you, not in front of you. Oh yeah. That makes sense. Okay. um, Yeah. Like you may want to, Turn that around. That leaf is shining that way. It looks dull that way. Just <laughs> like there's mud over there. You can rub that on the headlights. Now too. is this
0: OCS or IOBC? Like or this basic? is
1: uh, what is it? Armor, armor, lieutenants, whatever they. What is that called? Is it their like basic course type of thing? Though, like no. What is it? It's like after they've graduated their RTC program or they've gone through OCS then they go to okay gotcha yeah um,
0: it's their branch school it's their branch okay.
1: school yes for them to get branch <clears throat> qualified gotcha uh, it is so much uh, Oh, it's so fine. much fun <laughs> it sounds extremely uh, painful it, it is awful um, no offense to any of the future lieutenants out there or lieutenants that I may have driven around you guys were terrible back then. <laughs> way, so. um, they won't
0: remember you. Yeah. I, but I remember during this time frame that I was trying to do everything I could to try to help you. I had to call
1: Fox and yeah. whoever else you knew at Benning. Please <laughs> get God, me was, out of here. I was
0: trying to do everything I can to get yeah. you out of that hellhole. Yeah. And you then, know. thank God, not that it was Benning's a hellhole, but no, just the unit. No, yeah, man,
1: yeah. Fort Benning is awesome. Yeah. Fort Benning is the army. Back when they had a Force Comm unit, a Tradoc unit. And the Rangers there all at the same yeah, time. That I was, was there. The it most was, army post.
0: It was
2: fantastic. Yes. When it was the home of the infantry. Yeah, like it it's was the home of the infantry.
1: What's well, yes. the home of maneuver? It's the Maneuver Center of Excellence. You're yeah. welcome for a fight after this. I mean? Get with the program. <laughs>
2: yeah, it's the home of the infantry.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I mean, still have a hard time with that, by the way, yeah. because again, you know, Me seeing too. yeah, we're well, seeing Fort Knox Fort go away months, and yeah. they move it to where I remember the home of infantry. You know, I I totally agree. I understand be like the infantry moving up there to Fort Knox. It wouldn't make sense either. No. Yeah. No, it makes no sense.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Above my pay grade. Yeah. I still don't uh, quite understand that whole thing. I know Don's tried to explain it to me, you know, about how now it's all generic. Everything, you know, it's mm-hmm. all the same. Yeah, it's just, it's very odd to me. I don't know. At one point, there was branches specific for a reason. and
1: oh, it's just maneuver and support at this point.
0: Yeah. Anyway, um, so... <laughs> Around this time frame, what happened?
1: We, I I go to 316, you know, drive these lieutenants around for a year. Then I get a stroke of luck and I get to go to 3rd Brigade 3rd ID. I get there and I immediately get recognized like, hey, you're a specialist, you've been in for a little bit, you have common sense, you're going to the board. You're ready to go to the board. So I go to the board and I pass the board flying colors, and I become an NCO, and I basically learned how to NCO from there. And a lot of those guys I may not like, but I definitely respect, and I definitely use in my job today as a project manager for a construction company some of the lessons they taught me back then as an E5 who he knew everything
0: that was an interesting unit only in that you know when i was there it was 197th infantry brigade so it's always been a
1: detached
0: unit mm-hmm. of something you oddly know.
1: enough i've never been in a i've never been in a flagpole 173rd third brigade third id yeah you were always that's true i never so thought about that if you could do any type of army career that's the type of army <laughs> career you <want> to do. <laughs> Because yeah. the MCO commander of Benning did not care about their Brigade 3rd ID. He yeah. cared about everything else on post. So. Yeah, it was
0: just trade hoc. Yeah, it was primarily their focus. Yeah. And, of course, you know, you got USASOC that's mm-hmm. sitting there on installation. Yeah. So um, they're not going to mess with those guys. No. So. no. no. Yeah. No. And then I think, you know, they had the engineers there. Yeah. And that was pretty much it.
1: Go build your bridge and get out of the way. <laughs>
0: yeah. Oh, yeah, those guys are there. I forgot. Yeah. So you left there, though, and you ended up going to Alaska. Going to Alaska, yeah. Now, that was an airborne unit.
1: That was an airborne unit.
0: And it was one of the only airborne units that's up there, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Because that's where you can see Russia from there.
1: Yeah. Well, that's what they say. But yeah, yeah. (laughs) we had a a lot of fun up there. That was a new type of Army suck. Because there's Army sucking, and then there's below zero Army sucking. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Yeah, what's that like, man? It's awful.
1: That sounds awful. awful. You should go to Cold Weather Leader Course.
2: I shouldn't. No.
1: (laughs) No. No, I shouldn't. So uh, as being a Georgia boy, uh, saw a little bit of snow in Germany. Got to go, you know, snowboard a little bit in Germany. Saw a little, you know, a fair amount of snow. Yeah. I get up there and we're having. I'm driving up there and I'm in Northwest Territory, coming out of Dead Horse, going into Alaska. It's August 27th, and it's snowing. I'm just like, holy shit, what did I get myself into. Hmm. Um, I get to Anchorage. We spend about 30 days there. Wife gets there. She's there for two weeks, and it starts snowing on September 30th and it doesn't stop until April and that's that was our first winter it was just she was pregnant we were you know expecting our second kid and it just kept snowing and it was and it got dark and it stayed dark yeah for a long time that's yeah because that time of the year <laughs> long time uh and then I'm getting to a new unit trying to assert myself we're going to gunnery which thank god we were going to gunnery not doing something else cause I'm I'm good at gunnery um and I can, you know, make my way through there. And I find a place and they name me a section leader as a E five in an airborne unit with plenty of available E nice. sixes. Like you're an E you're an E five but you're you're ready to go. So you're a section leader. Um and that's kinda how my entire career's gone, really. I've always worked a level up. Except for the very end when I worked several levels up. Yeah. Um, like a lot of levels up, which really padded my resume which was awesome but alaska was fun it was uh it was an experience my wife would say she had a terrible time i thought it was cool um i wouldn't want to live there again but i definitely want to go there again sometime. yeah
0: so how did the traumatic brain injury the concussions and stuff affect you and especially your neck at in, in this time period especially in the cold in the cold and jump status?
1: getting back on jump status and you know hitting the hitting the ground at a high rate again really started aggravating some things mm. um not to say that you know at benning stuff didn't flare up but it really started to show his head show its its head with me one getting a little bit older mm-hmm. um doing doing airborne things again which doesn't sound very i know a lot of guys are probably thinking well it's not that really that hard being airborne you hit the ground you you know, you PLF, you, you roll up into a little ball, and it's fine, right? But you got to think, like, I am I get taped every time I, I weigh in after a PT test, right? I got the 19-inch the neck. I'm hitting the ground like a sack of shit every time. <laughs> like, where's Sergeant Neal? Well, he was the 11th person out of the bird and the first person on the ground, and that crater is where he landed.
2: Not so aerodynamic. <laughs> Not so aerodynamic. <laughs> like, I hit
1: – there's never once – well, I I won't speak. I won't say never. My last jump, my first sergeant put me number one jumper. And it was a beautiful Alaskan day. It was like almost seventy degrees that day, and I actually, all two hundred and thirty pounds of me at that point, uh, hit a thermal. And I never thought that that was possible. And I was the third person on the ground after being the first person out of the bird, and I never thought that was possible. Wow. It was really cool. Wow! I felt like I was, you know, 140 pounds. And well,
0: you're like six. Or the little like
1: accountant girl that just stays up in the air forever.
0: How tall are you? I'm six four. Six four. Okay.
1: So yeah. when I was in, I walked around about anywhere from two twenty to two thirty, and now obviously, yeah. Post army, you're about like 185, so. <laughs> but yeah, 190. Yeah, something yeah. like that. Thanks, guys. Trimmed down. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> nice and lean.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> So, okay. I want to talk a little bit about the uh, traumatic brain injury and stuff and then the concussions and stuff that you sustained because Paul just had a procedure. I mean, this is like total fresh. I mean, we're talking yeah. two Three days, days ago. ago yeah, two, two days, days ago, yeah, Monday, Monday. yeah, you've already lost a day somewhere. I've lost a day. I feel so good or <laughs> <laughs> is it that or not? No, really. I feel oh. great
2: amazing. So let, yeah. talk,
0: tell a little bit about uh, because I think it's going to fit in a lot with what our discussion here mm-hmm. because about, you know, today trying to deal with the concussions and traumatic brain injury, right. a lot of people, you know, they couple it together and we've talked about this with most uh, post traumatic stress. Mm-hmm. Sure. Very different situations here. Well, it's yeah. a, it's a different injury. Yes.
2: Yeah. It's a different
0: yeah. mechanism, but it's overlapping
2: symptoms. Everybody so, sees
1: the Venn diagram, right? The army's yeah. Venn diagram of maybe you didn't hurt your brain, maybe you, you don't feel good because of this. But what happens if it's both? And yes. then they over the PTSD, yes. which they did for me for a while, and they didn't take care of the TBI.
2: Exactly, and then you, you don't get resolution because mm-hmm. they're giving you pills that help in the short term, mm-hmm. or maybe they help in part, yeah. or you go and you do talk therapy, and I've done a lot of that. Mm. And I'm like, okay, this is okay, but It feels like there's a a missing ingredient. There's a missing Mm -hmm. piece, you know, and I knew from the get go because I don't present PTSD symptoms um, at the rate of frequency that most people who've been through what I've been through do. Um, But I present other symptoms. I'm like, I've been concussed by explosion thousands of times, thousands of times. And you, you go and you tell the doctor like, well, but you deployed six times. So it's gotta be PTSD. And I'm like, I don't know, man. I've never had a nightmare about the war. I've had a nightmare about my Sergeant Major <laughs> asking me to find my ID card or something like that. Yeah. But I've never had a nightmare about the war. I've never had a flashback or, you know, certain yeah. things are kind of missing from that. And the, we're starting to learn about TBI and we're starting to address it, but the access to it is, it's just not there. So I was lucky enough to meet somebody outside of the military and outside of the VA healthcare system and they recommended a stellar ganglion block to me and you ever heard of that? Is that the one that goes in the nose? No, that's the coronavirus test.
1: No, 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 the one, <laughs> that, <laughs> one that goes in the nose. What is that where they put the lidocaine on the, the nerve that's in the right. back of your nose? Um,
2: I don't know if they do that through the, the nose. In my case, they went through the neck okay. and it, you know, they go by your vagus nerve mm-hmm. and then, um, in your fight or flight yeah. center. And it's fast procedure. It's very easy, It's painless but it resets your fight or flight system. So that cycle of anxiety where your body's telling you Mm -hmm. something's wrong, something's wrong because you have all these physical injuries and your mind is telling you your body, something's wrong, something's wrong because you have traumatic brain injury, it just stops it, it just resets it and now you're out of that loop, like the blue screen of death on a computer. Like until you do a hard reset, it's just gonna keep doing blue screen of death for 10 years, 20 years, whatever, until you redo it. Mm. And that's what this procedure is supposed to achieve. And you know, hand experience three days in, uh, fifteen thumbs up. This yeah. is it's amazing. I mean, this is
0: like a complete control alt delete. So complete control alt
2: delete. Rob, this wound back the clock ten years. Really? Fif- fifteen years. No way. Wow. I, I swear on my scrolls, man. Like wow. And instant. That's the thing. They do the procedure. You sit there. You relax a little bit. And you're like. Why do I have this big smile on my face? Why are tears coming out of my eyes? And it's because this weight has been lifted off of your body, and you're like, it's because I'm not in a room full of sharks and tigers anymore. I'm just in a room with my friends and this doctor.
1: That's a good way to put it. A room full of sharks and tigers. Yeah, that is.
2: That's how you wake up in the morning, right? You wake up, you open your eyes, and you're like, you're, you're the first thing you have to do in the morning is say, "That's not a shark. That's not a tiger." That's not a shark that's not a tiger you got to go to the grocery store or to yeah. school or to work and it's like you got to ratchet up like you're putting mm-hmm. on your kit and jumping in humvee and going that's on a convoy or what have you so
1: so you're not at least bent like hyper alert anymore
2: well i wouldn't say that but i'm not hypersensitive not hypersensitive okay. yeah i mean i you, you trained for so many years mm-hmm. That's muscle memory to be alert you yeah. know you scan your sector yeah. you do your checks w- whatever your job was yeah. like you did it for so long that's ingrained in you but that's okay as long as you're doing a practical threat assessment yeah like, I'm here with you guys and nice place yeah. there's
1: the threat know, is low exactly so, so
2: keep your wits about you look around yeah. but and I always you know you check the corners and you pay attention to what's going on around you but you don't have to worry about it you don't have that like
0: What did I miss? So, so the question is going to be somebody's going to be listening to this and they're going to go, OK, does that mean then that I don't have the ability to assess fight or flight in a given situation in a moment or my reactionary time is going to be less? Or is Not it that you're OK? So it's just that it relieved the high, the anxiety part, the the, the peak well, that's
2: always there. Basically, what it's done is your, your body is supposed to see a threat and mm-hmm. then and then the alarm goes Says, off. Right, right. Right. Like if there's a fire, you pull the fire alarm. Right. But I've been sitting in the same classroom with the fire alarm ring for fifteen years. Yeah. yeah. Waiting for That's somebody to difference. For some for the
0: fire department to come there and stop exactly it and say it's over.
2: And I'm like all clear. I kind of smell smoke. Yeah. The bells are ringing Where's the smoke? Waiting Where's for the fire. The fire. Exactly. Yeah. And what it does it, it turns off the alarm. Yeah. And it stops all the noise. Did you
1: have any other physiological effects from For um, me, I think I've recently been diagnosed with AFib. I think because of the fight or flight the the amount of hormones pushing through my body at a time that my heart is getting a response sure and the physiological effect absolutely it makes total sense i can't think that it's it is Over. one or the other no one's told me that they're linked i just want to know if, I, I i would be interested to know if there would be a research link between afib and have I, you ever heard of that paul
2: uh, only in, in anecdotally but it makes perfect sense it, I mean, to you, me. You think, just listening to yeah. it, I'm
0: not a physician, but it makes. I mean, if you're at a yeah, heightened it's a new level, yeah, yeah, your heart. It, when I mean, when you're at that heightened level, your yeah. heart is going 100 miles an hour. When you perceive you a know. threat, your body
1: react. Physiological yeah. effect.
2: It, it, there's a chemical change yes. in your body and your hormone.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: Period. Yeah, that's what happens. So if you wake up and that's happening every day, and you're getting okay, I'm gonna have to fight for my life. Signals from mm-hmm. your mind and your body that affects your heart because your heart's gonna have to beat in a different way. Yeah. I mean, those. So we know those things happen. They just haven't linked them exactly. Like, and all of this information is out there. Unfortunately, it's not at the VA yet. Um, they they haven't approved it yet. So it's all private sector.
0: So now, what right okay. Now. So what you had done? Yes. You had to go through, pay for your own dime. Nothing dealing with the VA. It was in Annapolis. It was in Annapolis.
2: No, I was lucky enough. There's a foundation that paid for it. And so, there's. It's a
0: a veteran supported organization, or is yeah, this something? Yeah, it's a VSO.
1: Okay. Yep. So yep. if I had to pay for it out of pocket, how much would it cost?
2: About twelve hundred bucks.
0: Yeah. Oh. It, it costs
2: you twelve hundred bucks. I
1: mean, you're looking at it as it I, I would. About, yeah, say, yeah, Fifteen minutes. That'd be like a drop in the right. yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> oh wow. You got that's, the shot with you, Paul? Yeah.
1: <laughs> that's what. <laughs> Dude. That, when we get offline, just yeah. send me that information, please.
2: Um. Well, it's. Doc Mulvaney in Annapolis. He's the one who did it for me. And uh, it's still a ganglion block for PTSD.com. You can look up. You can do some research. There's almost no side effects.
0: Yeah. What was it that they gave you as far as like warnings ahead of time? Like, hey, Paul, you may experience, you know how that typically mm-hmm. you take any type of drug is a 14 page, you know,
2: in yeah, small, this fine is, print. This is a local anesthetic that's injected into your body. So if you're not allergic to what the, they give you at the dentist, probably going to be just fine. Hmm. You know, I mean, I'm not a, I don't, I'm not a doctor, obviously, but if you're not allergic to local anesthetics, then it it shouldn't be a problem. This isn't a, the medicine they use is not a drug of abuse. It's not, there's no, there's no other mechanism. It's just a local anesthetic. So let's
0: try to talk about some of the science of it. And I know you're not a, a doctor, but <laughs> I mean, when, when the I, I'm I'm really fascinated by this. When the needle goes in mm-hmm. to that segment of the brain, what in effect it's numbing this fight or flight reflex, but it's it's doing it um, where it's supposed to be sustained for a period of time, or is it for? I mean, is it forever? It's, or is it? It's very
2: durable. So if you Let's say you got an SGB or a stellate ganglion block, and you went out and you went right back into a room full of tigers and sharks. Well, mm-hmm. that that's going to trigger that loop. And if you have if your mechanism is damaged from TBI, and this is my understanding of it, I could be wrong, then you're stuck again. Because you're stuck in the on position from the damage that you okay, so you've like received from the trauma. The, the reset button
1: gets stuck in on at that point.
2: Exactly. So you got kind of got a faulty button. So. Yeah. But I know people; they've gotten them as early as 2014. And still working,
0: right? I was gonna. So you know people who have had this procedure done, which is why I did it. That's why I let. Six years later. Yes. Five years later, or whatever. And that's why it was
2: so compelling for me to do this. Look at the alternatives. Like I, I can take a pill, and I have to take that pill every day. And maybe I have a psychotic break. Maybe it uh, changes my digestion. Maybe I gain thirty pounds. Maybe destroys your liver. Destroys my liver. Maybe I'm taking pain pills or what have you or I do this and it's lasts for years and years. Potentially. It
1: seems like it's minorly invasive as long as the, I mean, he's a doctor, I guess he's going to be.
2: You're not supposed to drive home. Mm -hmm. You're supposed to have somebody with you, but I'm telling you, if I had to get up, up, up off that table and get in my truck and drive back home, I would have been fine. I did not do that, but just
0: like more a regular right.
2: anesthetic. I mean, if you—it's like going to the dentist. It yeah. was more. I would go do that before I went back to the dentist and got fillings if I had a choice. Yeah. Well, I talk out, out of my easier. head whenever.
0: I, yeah. When I come back to the dentist, <laughs> <sometimes>, yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. No, I mean it's it's even even less invasive really? than that. Okay. Wow. Yeah. I, easier than going to the dentist. Yeah. And, you know, personally, anecdotally, extremely effective. Yeah. I, I have. I'm telling you, Rob. I haven't felt this good since. I can't remember when. Yeah. I feel like my Any self.
0: medication or anything you have to stay on afterward? None.
2: Afterwards then. None.
0: Wow. Interesting. Yeah. It's really interesting. So the guys that you've known that's had it, say, four or five years ago, mm-hmm. um, obviously everything's still going well enough for them that...
2: Yeah. I mean, it depends on what your lifestyle is, yeah. I guess, from what I know. But you may have to do it every couple of years. It may last... I heard... Of one person it lasted ten years. That's how durable it's supposed to be. Now I don't know the the circumstances of that patient. Sure, but I mean that's a long time.
1: Would you pay $1, twelve hundred dollars a year for the rest of your life to do it?
2: I would pay ten thousand dollars a year for the rest of my life Once. to do it. Pay, I pay. Well, you got to think, and, and Rob knows this, you know, because we communicate quite closely. Mm-hmm. There's times when he can't get a hold of me for a week or two weeks, mm-hmm. and that's not because I'm a, an asshole. I've wondered about that. I mean, I am, but it's because there's just too many goddamn <laughs> tigers, tigers and sharks in my room yeah. and I can't pick up the phone. So to give you a good example, like when my phone rings, the first thing that goes through my head is like, ah, uh, the alarm bells start ringing. Since this procedure, the phone rings. I'm like, okay, I'm just talking to a friend like a normal human being.
1: That's the same way I am. And I'm, i am got a very phone driven job and I have phone anxiety. Exactly. Why, I don't dude? Know. You're six four. You're a cow scout. No like <laughs> you can just Hulk smash through but any problems like that are the, in front
2: of you. You're the big man on the block. The, what are you afraid of? I don't
1: know. Nothing. I, I, Why? Same, same way when I'm driving. Same thing. There's, and like you said, like imagine everything around you is sharp and pointy, and you can't move left or right, or you're gonna stab yourself or poke yourself or something. Tigers and sharks. So yeah, it's, it makes complete sense.
0: Yeah. No, that's a that's a I think a great description. I think a lot of people are going to be listening to this, or at least some that's going to listen to it and say, "Oh my God, I'm feeling the exact same way." Yeah. They may have not heard about this procedure, or if they had, they're going to be curious to know if there's somebody that you know could describe it a little bit further. And of course, you guys have. You've been yeah. able to to say, "All right, hey, this I, this is somebody. I these are people I've known that's had this procedure. Mm-hmm. I've had this procedure. Obviously, it's relatively fresh." So. I'm, you're only given a perspective that's a few days old, but I think some people would want to know. All right, what were the what were the effects in the first few days, the week, right. you know, uh, a month? Did you see it start waning? Um, you had to take a couple of rests and everything, even coming, you know, sure. here and stuff, you know, to make sure that everything's fine. Of course, you know, I'm in Atlanta, Paul's in New York, so right. he came down, and um, you took a couple of breaks. Some of that was probably just right. because you wanted to take a couple of breaks, but some of it was also because you needed to rest. You well. Know? So, the the procedure itself, I mean, you have an emotional release. Yeah. So, I mean, that was a
2: little... That can be exhausting, you know? So, I slept, I don't
0: know, about 10 hours. I was going like to ask you about your sleep.
2: It's... I put my head on the pillow, I close my eyes, I go to sleep.
0: Which is what it's supposed to be.
2: That's what it's supposed to be. It's the end of the, end of the day. You it's don't like, wake up at 2 o'clock know. in the morning wondering and asking yourself... So, you had an emotional question. release? Yeah. Yeah. Big emotional release. Like, Tears big smile on my face because you're because you're back i've been absent for all
0: these years and i'm back now yeah and i'm like holy shit this is great
2: you it's and i've like known
0: people that had, even had shock treatment and stuff oh uh, yeah whether it be post-traumatic stress or the combination of tbi yeah. ptsd yeah and and feel some of that but it's very very short it's short-lived you have to go consistently to
2: the therapy. You have to take the pills every day. You have to go and do shock therapy. It's impactful in other ways that are not always positive. This there's, it's, there's just no other impact. It just does what it's supposed to do. It doesn't do anything else. The, what's really frustrating to me was that I called the VA first and I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, I want to go do this. I need imagery of my neck and things like that because I have damage in my neck, which is the reason I stopped on the way down. Is because like you, I've got mm-hmm. injuries at C three, C four, C five, C six. Well, whole neck. We, we all have. I those. got the mm-hmm. I got the the turkey <laughs> neck. It's all messed up. <laughs> yeah, that's me. Um, so you know, I had to make some stops just physically. I can't ride in a car that long. Yeah. But I called the VA and I said, "Hey, I want to do this procedure. Can I get referred to this doctor?" And they're like, "We don't. We just don't do it." no reason why no explanation it's been around for 10 years they've got a They lot just don't of, cover
0: it it's not that yeah. they you nope. know right that's that's the thing yeah you, you well, can't
2: get it and and it, most insurance won't cover it i'm sure there's some that's out there but they are making strides to do that there's uh some congressmen that are working on it there's a lot of I was going
0: to say why not do because it. you have so many other from a from a physician and from a health insurance side you now i'm going to put put on my health insurance side after i got out of the military you both know that i, I spent some period of time on the the health side you know in health insurance life sciences as well but why wouldn't insurance want to cover it if they realize that they maybe it's because there hasn't been enough study that's been out there for a, enough period of time and enough research and documentation supporting it other than that i can't see a reason why because you end up taking more of these cocktails and things that we were talking about that causes further downstream damage like we were talking about Mm -hmm. liver you know heart um whatever to where this could be a a, a better remedy and i kind of liken it back to something even as simple as like um the days when people would get like lasik surgery and no one would ever approve that because there just hasn't been enough information and knowledge out there to know whether it's gonna reverse, you're gonna have mm-hmm. you know further damage. Worse
1: eye stuff, yeah. It, yeah. I don't know. What do you go to see a neuro like a neurologist at all from the VA?
2: I've scheduled to see
1: one. You scheduled to yeah.
2: see one. Uh it's been about three months that okay. I've been waiting to see Neuro. Okay. Thanks, VA.
1: I got I got asked by my uh, primary care physician from the VA. Do you have a private neurologist? And I said no, but I have private insurance on top of VA. She's like, okay, well then go see your neurologist through your insurance. Yeah.
0: For the neck injury part, for all
1: of it. For like, all of it. Yeah. yeah. Well, said, that's that's the thing with your spine and the yeah, TBI. She you said it for she all said don't. No, she. She cautioned me from using the VA. Yeah. For neurology.
2: Well, the the difficulty with neurology is it takes three disciplines to properly identify a TBI. Yeah. Most places have one, if you're lucky, they have two. Mm-hmm. And then fighting with whatever insurance district your VA, VA falls in to get those specialties can take months, which is an extremely frustrating process when your noodle's been all stirred up. Yeah. And that's the problem. Um, I'm working on an intervention with a soldier right now who has TBI, and he's getting pushback from his providers because they're like, well, you didn't call us on time or you didn't fill out this form. And I'm like, this is a guy who has traumatic brain injury. Mm -hmm. He has diminished function of his mental capacities. And you're asking him to coordinate three or four different providers and schedule them all at once. Mm -hmm. And that's too big of an ask in this case. And so there's, there's a disconnect in that sense when it comes to TBI. Absolutely. It's, Look, if I could just do these things, then I wouldn't need to see these doctors. Right. That's why I'm here. Yeah. Right. You know, like, like you. I mean, you're, you did what you did in the army for years and years and years. And there's a reason you don't do that anymore. You <laughs> know, like I had a career where I was responsible for a lot of things and a lot of people. And I handled all of that pretty well until I got to a certain point, And my injuries sort of, I sort of succumbed to them and couldn't do it anymore. Yeah. And now they're asking you to do all of these things. It's like, well, if I could do those things, I'd still still be wearing my fuzzy French hat and yelling at baby rangers, man. But I can't. So this is why I'm asking for help. So there's a big disconnect there. Um, There's also a big disconnect in how you can access care outside of the VA system. You know, so it's...
0: I mean, the, the problems manifold and we've talked about this. This is one of sure. the biggest challenges I think that veterans find is trying to find and navigate this pathway that we're talking about. Who to go see, how to then, you know, get the right care, understanding what care is available, you know, where those resources might be that could provide financial assistance. I mean, like you're saying, the the average person or normal mm-hmm. person this may not be too much of a challenge because they're going to keep digging and searching in order to find those answers. Mm-hmm. Whereas somebody I'm, I'm guessing that has, you know, what you guys are describing with traumatic brain injury is it becomes more of a burden to layer all those different things on top of more of a challenge. Sure. Um, to be, you almost need a case manager. You, you need a, a oh, 100%. project manager, you know, that, somebody that can shepherd that. You if know,
2: you, if you have
0: TBI to a certain extent and,
2: you don't have a case manager managing this, which is what I'm doing for this person I'm doing an intervention with, you're never gonna navigate the system, bottom line. No. And that's a big reason why the suicide intervention and awareness techniques are not working. It's a big reason why all the PTSD awareness and techniques are not working is because we have this missing component. It's like the, the elephant in the room that's no nobody's really mm-hmm. addressing. And that's the fact that when you have a TVI, you present all these other symptoms but you can't navigate the system yeah. and without somebody there to walk you through it, you're not going to, you're going to lose hope and then you're going to end up as part of that statistic.
1: I never would have been a part of the VA if I didn't have somebody literally before I got out of the army, filled out the paperwork for me, got to noon and went to the VSO in Noonan, he helped me push the paperwork through. And he basically made a schedule for me, this is where you gotta be, These, this place, this place, this place, this yeah. place. Yeah. And at that point, I had a roadmap. I had a way to go. I knew I had to be at this this appointment at this time, just be as honest as I could. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and that was the easy
0: part. I was very fortunate in that it was actually probably about halfway through my career that um, I had an office there at Splinter Village and mm-hmm. uh, when it existed, it doesn't exist any longer at yeah. Fort Benny. But there was a VA office that was next door, mm-hmm. and I just kind of befriended that guy, and he had told me a little saying that stuck with me, and I've even said it in the early podcast um, episodes and stuff, which is good, um, good soldiers never go on sick call, but good veterans do. Mm-hmm. And so what he was basically telling me is that, listen, you got to make sure you document this stuff, because when it comes time for you to get out as a veteran, if it's not documented, they're not going to treat it. They're not yeah. going to help you. Um, and and we forget that because of course we don't want to go on sick call. If you go on sick call, mm-hmm. you get a profile, temporary or not. You're a dirtbag.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: You know. Well, and the, what what
2: makes the problem more complex is that you add TBI to that mentality. Yep. And now you're forgetting that you should go on sick call. Mm-hmm. Your metrics are not accurate because normal has is now something different than it used to be. So. You've come up with coping mechanisms, and if you're a good soldier, like we all were, then you're going to figure out a way around the problem, just yep. like you figure out a way around every other problem. Mm-hmm. And so what you, what's being perceived by your chain of command or by your providers is somebody who is presenting as normal. A functional member not. of the army and society. Exactly. But what's really going on is somebody who's not getting any sleep, yep. who's you know, not digesting properly, getting the proper nutrition, who... You know, is not functioning well in their personal relationships and who can't progress forward in life and they're stuck. I mean, and, and you almost become robotic. You get to this robotic state and you can do it. Yeah. You can do it until you're well, ground down into a little nub you, of nothing.
1: You we're see them all over the Army. They're I called just, 14, 15-year E6s, right? Yeah. Oh, exactly. I was just getting ready to say, <laughs> yes. we're, we're conditioned over a period of time, you kind
0: of just yeah. start playing the game.
1: Mm-hmm. That and, E6 knows exactly how to play the game. He yeah. knows what he's got to do to score 270 on the PT test because he's 36 years old. Yeah. He has been a section leader or partial mm-hmm. platoon sergeant, never really takes that next step, and he's just there. Yep.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And the people think, Oh man, that's a great dude until it's time to go to the board Mm -hmm. and then you fall apart until it's time to save your marriage or maintain a relationship. And then you fall apart until it's time to, you know, whatever it may be. And just to give you an example, um, the intervention I'm doing now, this soldier is an excellent soldier, amazing accolades, amazing career. And it has taken myself, a nurse, um, a TBI specialist, uh, mental health professional who has a, an actual MD um, and four or five other specialties to coordinate just to get him the chance to go to somewhere like the National Intrepid Center of Excellence. We, and we're about all this. outside of the Army. Yeah. It's I mean, he's still active. So he has the most robust healthcare system at his disposal. And the optics on this are so myopic that he's being completely missed. And this is somebody who's lucky to have some connections and have the right kind of friends. Imagine what's happening to the private who's in third ID or the specialist who's in third ID and he doesn't have jump school and he doesn't have a bunch of awards and he gets blown up and things start falling apart on him but he's showing up to PT every day Mm -hmm. and he's still toughing it out and he's still scoring okay on all his whatever gates he needs to pass. Yeah, That's the guy that's adding to that. 20 a day statistic that we, yeah, we can exactly. reach. It doesn't happen until they get out and they separate and they mm-hmm. get away from that. Well, Rob, I'd say that, but it's, ha- it's happening in. It's now. happening. That's, yeah. the, that's what's alarming is like going through these interventions yeah. for the last five years. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, there are some units out there where I get a call and it's somebody saying, hey, you know, this happened. There was a, a self arm or a suicidal um, event. And a week later, it's two more and a month later it's two more and you're you start extrapolating and it's like i'm just a layperson out here on the outside and this is what i'm hearing about yeah like what's happening behind that curtain that i can't see and that's what's really alarming so i mean not to cut you off but no no, no. i what's, think that I, like we, we haven't even seen the high water mark uh, that's of scary. this i think we're i think you're You're mistaken if you think that we're at the high water mark and that we need to settle. Oh, I definitely don't. Twenty a day. I think that. Oh no. The high water mark is around forty a day if we don't do something.
0: Well, and I think if you break that down to, um, so usually the twenty-two a day is, I believe, more representative of the total veteran community. Mm -hmm. Which that goes all the way back to World War II. There are still survivors, you know, Korea, Vietnam. In a lot of those cases, it could be very different circumstances as to why they chose to um, commit suicide that have maybe nothing to do with post-traumatic stress or TBI. It could be something entirely different Mm -hmm. in their situation. We don't know, uh, but it's kind of like the coronavirus today where it just kind of gets lumped into there uh, sure. because maybe they did test positive, but they were, you don't know, um, mm-hmm. you know, those other symptoms and everything else that went along with it. But my, my point is, is that if you just measure um, the GWAP period, you know, or at least yeah. the people since 9-11, I, I think you might find a very sobering statistic that's very much higher than the 22 a day. And if nothing else, we need to be concerned about those metrics and those individuals because we've never been in combat in a war this long. Well, and we're recruiting
2: people to the same conflict under yes. the same metrics under the that same that we have improved upon. That we haven't improved upon. Right. So, and they weren't
1: even born when it happened.
2: That's scary as hell. You know? Right? Yeah, that's weird like, too. You could yeah.
1: be a nineteen-year-old. Are uh, you born on September 11th? You could be 19 years old right well, now. Well, we
2: all know somebody whose son or daughter is serving where they served overseas. Yep. Yeah. Someone we served with, and now they're fighting mm. in the same places that we well, there fought. There are
1: stories of fathers and sons, you know, like Lieutenant Colonel Fullbird and Lieutenant Son or mm-hmm. Sergeant Major Dad and Specialist or PFC Son in yeah. the same unit. Yeah. Yeah. Fighting uh, like in the same place. Yeah.
2: And and when you think about it, what's what's sobering to me about the twenty a day statistic is that if you look at the average, the the demographic that we pull from for the military, that that demographic is the highest suicide demographic in the general population. Mm-hmm. That age range is, I believe, fifty to like seventy five or eighty, something like that. We're not there yet. So when GWAT when we're center mass of 55 to 75 the 20 a day number goes up yeah yeah scary and that's that's what's what's frightening because there's that's what the numbers say yeah and that's why it's so imperative that we properly diagnose what's really going on that's why it's so imperative that people like us that are out we have TBI yeah. like seek valid treatments and try to educate bring some education Hmm. to these things you know if you have a congressman or senator and they're interested in this at all you know like those are the people you got to back up and these procedures that your friends are trying like we got to get out there we got to do these things because there's a whole mess of people coming up behind us and they're going to need the help that we didn't get yeah this is sort of our our mission as i see it as our generation
1: yeah kind of makes you feel feel a little bit differently about you know contact sports as a whole a as different. well a lot yeah. different yeah. like we you know my son asks all the time if he can play football and i'm just yeah. like well i mean the research is there yeah geez i know? can
0: remember even in high school being so stupid and um you know running into guys to hit helmet to helmet because mm-hmm. we thought it was cool We to see yeah. if we could knock each other down yeah yeah stupid
1: it's just stuff like that. <laughs> Like, yeah, you know? me too, dude. Uh, <laughs> me too. Well, just think about like in the, in the extreme sports sector, like guys like Dave Mira and stuff like that who've taken repeated shots of the head and, you know, their fate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah, I mean, that's, that's the thing that, you know, we talked about this um, in other episodes, I think even most recently about... What's the alternative? If, if you don't get some types of treatment, mm-hmm. if you don't understand traumatic brain injury, you don't understand the concussions and the effects, there are major downstream effects that could happen that we've seen with major sports, mm-hmm. uh, Muhammad Ali, yeah. um, Lou Gehrig, you Absolutely. know. Um, w- and it doesn't matter, you know, you talk about football, it could be soccer, mm-hmm. you know, even baseball, mm-hmm. you know, uh, football. Um, yeah. There are so many different sports that are out there where, you know, any type of concussion, traumatic brain injury, you know, you're going to, you could potentially see long-term effects that happen. And we're only, I think that, that the positive side is that the the veteran community has a, a, there's a real opportunity here to truly understand this well enough, along with these other sports and, and stuff that's going on and how they're studying it, but they're studying it so that people can continue playing. Sure, and we're just, we're wanting to study well, it too, so that people continue fighting. Yes, right. But I think we have um, we owe it to our veterans to try to find remedies and solutions that can be tailored to the individual um, and, and help them, or help find some kind of way to case manage these individuals yeah. to get these these. I'm
1: okay cuts. with them trying to find a way for soldiers to keep fighting and football players to keep. Playing because a byproduct of that is people continue to live. Yeah. So yes. I mean that I mean any 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 help in that form or any growth in that form helps the community as a whole. Whether it be extreme sports, football, mm-hmm. veteran community, I think a lot can be learned across across those those avenues. Um, I know the NFL was trying to pull a lot of data from Walter Reed, yeah. trying to use that data to maybe help with their what they're seeing yeah. as well
2: well that's an interesting thing to bring up too because and this kind of goes back to the point about tbi anytime somebody commits suicide they say well oh, it's ptsd mm-hmm. but football players commit suicide boxers yeah. commit suicide yeah. hockey but players commit suicide trauma, it's more but more they don't rather. have a traumatic event right in their life like combat mm-hmm. it's so true it's because of concussion injuries yeah. and when you add explosive concussion to that yes. now, now you're in a new realm yeah. and it's it's really frustrating once you know that and your mm-hmm. eyes are open you're like well this seems like a no brainer it's frustrating that the medical community and your access to these kinds of treatments hasn't caught up yet Yeah, but it, it seems pretty apparent to me it seems That's, like a no brainer it's
1: yeah no pun intended but it's fairly obvious <laughs> <laughs> right, <thank laughs> like you. it just uh, the effects of these last ten years on our generation of Americans,
3: mm-hmm.
1: our generation of Americans, those soldiers who were privates and specialists and sergeants ten years ago, who are now first sergeant, sergeant major, sergeants major in the army, or veterans who have, you know, established careers and stuff like myself. There's a whole generation and swath of the of the country working that have experienced this, that are dealing with it. They may not be dealing with it in the healthiest ways, and you wonder why things like 22 a day happen. And it's just they cover it up for as long as they can, and then then they just go away. So yeah, we did
0: an episode a couple of weeks ago about you know veteran suicide, and it really hit home for a lot of a lot of people who listened to that episode. Um, and, and we were talking about some of the things that they can do to help that and, and how, how many organizations there are that are out there, you know, that are trying to, to help. Mm-hmm. But yet there's scarce resources because people have donor fatigue. Um, everybody's trying to come up with some solution in order to, to combat this and to tackle it. And yet, what we may be talking about here is there may be levels of post-traumatic stress that affect that, but there also may be something that's been highly overlooked, or maybe not. I don't want to say that it's not been overlooked, but I certainly haven't heard a whole lot about traumatic brain injury being potentially the forefront of the reasons why veteran suicide is out there. What I hear more, and I think we all do around this table, Mm -hmm. is post-traumatic stress.
1: Well, it's the easy, I hate to say it, it, was the easy wrong versus the hard right. Yes, I agree with that. So it it fits better, right? It fits with the shell shock or the, um, what is the one from Vietnam? What was the term they used for Vietnam? Um, Battle fatigue. Battle fatigue or now in our wars, PTSD. But. um,
2: Well, it's that if you have PTSD, you take pills for the rest of your life. So there's, we know that there's a pharmaceutical lobby. We know that they have a certain amount of pull and a certain amount of power and policy and yeah. I can go and get a shot for $1,200 and it's going to be durable for 5 to 10 years. Mm-hmm. Or I can take pills every day and go to talk therapy for the rest of my life. Which one do you think costs more? So there's a lot of there's a lot of factors here and there's a lot of barriers to this.
0: Let's go back to, is this something, uh, before we wrap up here, is this mm-hmm. something that people on active duty can take and is there something... Yes. Okay, so it's not going to affect medical... Uh, If they they can go to
1: dental, it sounds like, and have an army dentist whittle on them, they could probably do this. Yeah,
2: yeah. I I mean, I don't, I don't know what the protocol is for active duty, but I'll tell you this: you could go on a Friday, you'd be ready to go back to work on Monday. Yeah, and nobody'd ever know the difference. Except you'd be way better at your job.
0: (laughs) If I had done this, not that we're encouraging that on this. (laughs) I am.
2: (laughs) If I had done this midway through my career, yeah. I wouldn't have you the probably still I have be today. Yeah. I may still
0: be in today. You'd be you know, a crusty maybe. old charger major somewhere I, instead
2: of a crusty old
0: guy <laughs> in your studio. <laughs> You're right. Yeah, uh, Kyle. Thanks for coming on the Ministry Today podcast. Guys having me, this is awesome. Yeah, yeah. Thank great you guys. chat, brother. We'll have so. to have you back on again and talk some more stuff, especially if you Hopefully end up having... after I do that. No, yeah, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> sounds good. Yeah, yeah. I'll set you up, man. That'd be, be great.
1: Go to Maryland tomorrow. So, <laughs> <laughs>
2: I love it. Yeah. You're yeah. be able to